Good morning again, Christ Community Church. If you would be turning in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5 as we will uh, hear the 8th lecture from the teacher to the student uh, and we'll cover the entire chapter. And the key truth that we want to walk away with this morning is that God's wisdom calls for us to avoid being in a destructive, commodified relationship with sin that leads to regret but instead to receive the good gifts he, is, he provides in covenant relationship as means of eternal refreshment and blessing. Let me read that again. God's wisdom calls for us to avoid being in a destructive, commodified relationship with sin that leads to regret, but instead to receive the good gifts he provides in covenant relationship as means of eternal refreshment and blessing. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Proverbs chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation." Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we step into this chapter, uh, which is called the call to wisely avoid lovers less wild, we recognize that the teacher has set up two very distinct relationships. And they are very, very much uh, embodied in, in the results that the relationships uh, translate into. And so it's important that we recognize this is a further, furtherance of the discussion of the embodiedness of wisdom and sin or folly, as the term is here. And we need to recognize the impact that it has on us in our bodies. And so before we get started, I think it's important that we answer this question. What is your definition of a healthy relationship? See, I, I, I think that it's important that we recognize that healthy relationships should be mutually edifying, mutually beneficial. 
Now, I didn't say equally edifying or equally beneficial because seasons change in different circumstances and at different times. Um, we, we serve each other in different ways, right? But, but a healthy relationship should always edify, should always encourage, should always build up, should always uh, point to the image that we bear, should always help us to grow further into the image of Christ. That is a healthy relationship. It should point us to wisdom. It should help us to, to, to gain life more abundant. When it doesn't do those things, it is unhealthy and should be disengaged from. Too often, I think, that we think a healthy relationship is one in which we get our way. One in which we, uh, our love is used to try to change or transform someone else instead of God's love. And so we need to be careful that we have a good definition of what a healthy relationship is and looks like. And that's what is being offered to the student and to us here by the teacher. As we step into this eighth lecture, let's look first at the temporal sweetness and deadly results of sin and its eternal regret. Notice again where some things are different, where there's a progression on the ideas, and we'll see that pretty quick here. He says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. We've heard that before. Here's where it actually progresses. That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So, so notice previously what the student had been challenged to do is to gain knowledge, to gain wisdom. And so that's just a gathering of information. And then the next thing that he was challenged to do was to, to use it in insight to, to, to how then should he live based on what he knows. And now the progression here is to call for discretion, to, to be able to differentiate whether well, some things you don't need to know. And there's some places you don't need to go. And there's some relationships you don't need to engage in. And there's some things that you need to protect that you shouldn't just give away. And so uh, in maturity, as we grow, not only do we gain things that we know and then begin to apply it, but we also begin to protect it and recognize that there, in curiosity, there's some places we ought not wander. And so that's what the teacher is calling the student to do here. And then he makes it very clear, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. And so he's confessing, sin is sweet. The, the, the offer that is often made in any of the array of sins that are before us, whether it's idolatry or some sort of sexual sin or some sort of um, uh, sin where we gain money or prestige or honor or otherwise, it is sweet. It does, it is attractive to us. But just because something is sweet doesn't make it good. Just because something is attractive doesn't make it healthy. Because listen to what he says next. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So again, instead of bringing health and life, though it was sweet and attractive on the front end, this sin uh, is instead going to bring death and bitterness and division within the student and, and in the student's relationships with other people. And so her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And so he's saying that that getting into an intimate relationship with sin, letting sin begin to affect you in in your body and mind and soul, really just leads to death. And notice that, that here, sin doesn't give time for reflection. 
Sin doesn't give opportunity for intentionality and thinking things through and cultivation. No, it is a rush of passion. It is that initial spark of sweetness and, 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 and attractiveness, right? So, and it, and it, it beckons, you must come now. You must follow now. You must engage in this now. How many of us have felt the, the, the weight of that? We do our children a disservice when we don't help them see how attractive and sweet sin is. We actually end up sounding like liars when we just jump to the death part or the bad part or the lost part instead of saying, hey, listen, this is, this is, these things are attractive. And in fact, sin is often taking something which is good and intended by God and twisting it, right? And so, so part of the sweetness, part of the attractiveness is to take something that was originally intended for good use and twist it for our own or, or prideful use or, or personal use. And so uh, it's, it's critical that we help our kids to see that there's things that are going to be attractive. It's even more important that we as parents begin to acknowledge and recognize what are some of the things that maybe they are drawn to um, and help them navigate how, how they can, can deal with those issues, how they can actually live with discretion and protect the knowledge that they have gained, the wisdom that has been granted to them. We, sh- we should do this for each other as friends. We should know each other well enough as fellow church members that that we actually help each other to see the destructive power of sin and even caution one another when when we're in that early phase of thinking this is a good idea when it's not, when it's only going to lead to to deep eternal regret. And notice what the teacher continues to warn uh, those who are gathered. Again, we see the plural here. He says, and now sons... Listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and don't go near the door of her house. So what's the best way to deal with things that we find attractive, things that we find sweet that aren't necessarily life-giving or contra the scripture are going to lead us to sin and death? Avoid them altogether. This is also an aspect of discretion knowing the things that we are tempted by, not uh, making the mistake of calling what is evil good, right? Not going anywhere near it. Don't even go anywhere near where these things dwell. And this speaks to something we talked about in the sermon last week, how often one of the things that get us in trouble is we like to wander about curiously without intention or without thought or reflection, That's dangerous, and we need to recognize those patterns in our lives, and we need to mortify or put to death, uh, as as Colossians 3 calls us to do, those patterns because of our union with Christ and what it's going to cost us. And that cost is not just to us personally. Notice what it says here. It says, um, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. So instead of being uh, in relationships that are life-giving and edifying, instead, the relationship with sin, this intimate relationship with the things that we are attracted to that aren't good, that lead to death, actually turn us into a commodity that is utterly destroyed. Turn us into a commodity that, that there's no interest in building up. There's no interest in granting life more abundant, but instead is consumed for the mockery of others. And it's not just you who gets mocked. Now, Galatians 6 makes it very clear that God is not mocked, but that doesn't mean that people don't try. That doesn't mean that they don't besmirch, seek to besmirch the name of God. God can handle that. But on our part, 
We should not be providing uh, ammunition for those kinds of things. We should steward these things well for God's glory and our joy. And notice the, the regret that comes in, which is contra, what would it, reflection works so much better than regret. Intentional thinking things through and planning one's steps is so much better than getting lost and recognizing you, you cannot be found. Notice what, what the one who has gone the way of the woman folly. He says, and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. So this isn't casual. This person just didn't stumble into sin, right? This, is, this person was tempted uh, the Lord provided a way out. They chose not to take it or the Lord uh, disciplined them when they were beginning to go that way and they chose to ignore the God's loving discipline and, and instead hardened themselves. Now, I, I, this is a moment where many of you need to pause and take stock of, of your reaction to being confronted with God's word, being confronted with your sin, being confronted with your lack of wisdom, how do you respond? Do you receive the discipline of the Lord? Which, by the way, the discipline of the Lord often comes through his people or comes through his word or comes through a word fitly spoken in due season. Are you, do you push against and say, um, I don't want to hear that. I, I don't need that from you. I don't need you knowing my business. Do you push against one of the great gifts that the Lord has given to us, which is a community of people who love us enough to call us to account? If you do, you need to repent. You, you need to wrestle with that. You need to recognize that that's, that's not a healthy, that doesn't make for healthy relationships, and it doesn't make for a healthy life either. He goes on to say, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Now, again, the Lord was gracious to, to make sure his truth was before this person generationally. He, he was faithful in his sovereignty and his goodness to make sure that it was not, this person didn't go where they went. They didn't find themselves in this destroyed position, a wasted life, because God wasn't faithful. They found themselves in this position because they were unfaithful to listen. They were unfaithful to, to learn. They were unfaithful to receive correction as gift in the Holy Spirit. And they're on the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So this, this means that it's, it's a very public set of circumstances. And oftentimes destruction doesn't go unnoticed. In fact, Satan wants to make sure that it gets plenty of airtime. Notice our fascination with bad news, our fascination with the macabre, our fascination with people's uh, sins and foibles, right? That is actually a very unhealthy thing. Um, and so, so what we need to recognize from this first portion of the lecture is that this is an intimate relationship that leads to death. That, de that demoralizes, that commodifies, that is destructive, is patently unhealthy, even though it has a strong attractional component on the front end. We need to, I mean, we need to be wise. Anything that we are attracted to, we, we need to ask whether or not it's actually going to lead us to, to glorify God. We, we need to interrogate the things that we are drawn to. This needs to begin early in life because as we know, even from neuroscience, there's mistakes we can make early in our lives, in our bodies, that transform uh, how our brains work. 
It's, it's inarguable. God knows how he made us. This is one of the reasons why he says there are things that you should reserve for covenant relationship where it is healthy and good. If you were to take these things up in an unhealthy circumstance, it's going to change you. It's going to harm you. He's not the joy police. He's, he's interested in us being able to flourish in newness of life throughout the whole of life. And so it's critical that we take stock of these things before we find ourselves in this position. Because again, regret is nowhere near uh, the, the benefit that reflection is. Do remember the story from Luke 16, 19 through 31, where the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man refuses to feed Lazarus, the poor man. And when he finds himself on the far side of Abraham's bosom in hell, and he begs, hey, let me go back and, and just tell my brothers and, and, and Abram makes it very clear. If they didn't listen to Moses and they didn't listen to the law, they're not going to listen to you. So all this regret that you now have is useless and it won't be beneficial to anyone. And so we need to take that as a sober warning. And so listen to what Kenneth Aitken says about this. He says, just as wisdom's path makes life rich and full and really worth living and leads to ripeness of age, so the seductress's path impoverishes life and robs it of meaning and leads in the end to an untimely death. So we need to be sober about what we are attracted to. We need to, to, to show discretion with the places where we go and where we, where the stuff that we are taking in and the knowledge that we share. We need to show some maturity in this regard. And so the questions I have for us is, is, is important for us to ask. Um, which sins do you find most sweet that you're most attracted to? We all have them right? There's, there's just things that we're bent towards. Some things don't, don't really draw us at all, but some things do. And you got to be careful that you don't just do the ones that uh, seem to be opposed morally in society. Do remember pride is the thing that is most noxious to God. Arrogance, uh, this, this, this thinking you know or thinking that you know more than you do or failing to show humility with brothers and sisters in Christ or our neighbors or even God himself. So don't miss that one. That one can be very sweet and attractive to us. In addition to all the others uh, that, that definitely, again, they're attractive and sweet because of what they do to our bodies um, and, and how we respond to them. And then what is your current relationship with that sin? Of the things that you're attracted to, of the things that you find sweet, what is your current relationship? Are you showing discernment and getting away from it? Are you being confessional about your struggles with it? Again, it's better to confess temptation than once you've fallen, but if you've fallen, you need to confess that too and receive the, the forgiveness that is due you who are in Christ. If you are separated from Christ, then you, you need to be restored to the Lord our God by first confessing your need for a Savior, to, to be free of these things. And then how do you think you will view the time, effort, and energy and, and the cost related to it uh, how do you think you're going to view that relationship based on all that at the end of your life? Will it have been worth it? Will it have been worth the time you wasted, which you don't have an eternity to blow? Life is ephemeral, which means it's fleeting. doesn't mean it's meaningless. Us living sinfully renders that ephemeral time meaningless. It renders our life meaningless. So it's good to take stock now. Is this how you want to have spent your life on these things? Well, what we see here in Proverbs is the answer is no. It is not worth it. 
But you need to take stock before you discover that in regret. Let's turn back to the text and see the call to wisely enjoy the Lord's provision. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And what he's saying is, is that this, the student needs to partake of what he knows will both refresh and bless him. He needs to focus in discernment on the things that are going to edify, build up, and draw him closer to the Lord with whom he has covenant relationship, who has provided these good things. And you may say, well, it sounds like it's not very communal, that he's being told not to share these things with other people. And that's, that's, not, that's not the point of this. The point of this is that the Lord has provided specifically in covenant relationship uh, for the students. And the student needs to recognize the uniqueness of that relationship. And then what it ends up being shared is, is the, what overflows from his life. What he wants to share is his joy in the Lord that results from drinking deep uh, of, of what the Lord has called him to, how he's, how he's provided, how he's gifted this person, the experiences and opportunities that have been presented. Um, and, and, and so it's important that he recognize that in sovereignty, the Lord has fashioned each person's story uniquely. I can't help but think of when Peter is being told how his life will end by Jesus. A very sober moment. And Peter goes, yeah, but what about John? And Jesus says, I'm not talking to you about John. I'm talking to you about you. In the same way, I love the way it's handled in the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, in particular, I think it's the, the boy and his horse where he, he wants to know uh, the young lady's story. And Aslan says, I'm not telling you her story. I'm telling you your story. And so it's important that we recognize that there's a way in which the Sovereign Lord has fashioned our lives uniquely. And we need to, in those circumstances, how we've been gifted to draw refreshment and blessing from the way in which He's uniquely fashioned our lives and provided for us. And this language is covenant language. It's marital language. In fact, it's, these next few verses actually make us a little uncomfortable because of how intimate they are. This isn't just speaking of a, a, an earthly marriage, although it, it, earthly marriage is a picture of this, right? The sacred canopy of earthly marriage should actually be refreshing and blessing to us as evidence of God's love. But this is not just an earthly marriage, and we'll, we'll see that even further as we get to chapters 8 and 9. This is, this is the relationship that we have with God. Think of how all the rest of Scripture speaks of our relationship with God as a covenant marriage. We are the bride of Christ. And so listen at the, the, the joy and the intimacy. This should not embarrass us. This should actually, um, it should actually help us to see the depths at which God just loves us and cherishes us. It's similar to language from the Song of Solomon. He says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So the wife of his youth here is the fact that he's, he's a covenant child and he's being raised in the admonition of the Lord. He was called to fear the Lord from early on. And he, he was called to, to pursue lady wisdom and to cherish her and to guard her and to, to find his refreshment and blessing in her. That's intimate. There's an intimacy to that that we should be very comfortable with because it's a great joy to us. Now understand that for some of you, there are, there are physical aspects to intimacy that are difficult. So, so don't, 
don't over extrapolate that. That's part of, unfortunately, life in a fallen world. But you, what you're not robbed of is the intimacy that you have uh, in, in your relationship with the covenant Lord. And yes, it is embodied, but it is not commodified. And that's different. And that's really what we want to get to even in our marriages. That we want to be able to take joy in one another in our marriages without it being commodified. It needs to be embodied. It needs to reflect the glory of the Lord. It needs to be refreshing and blessing and edifying, encouraging to both parties, to the family as a whole. But there will be some challenges in our fallenness. And then it goes on to say, why? This is a great question. So, so if God's provided so much, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? If what the teacher is saying is true, that pursuing uh, lady folly, pursuing sin, a relationship with sin, a commodified relationship is going to lead to death and regret. And the Lord has pursued us, condescended to be in relationship with us, is committed to us. Our good provides everything we need. Why would we go after lovers less wild? Why would we go after lovers who love us less, provide for us less, refresh us less, bless us less eternally? It's a great question and one we should ask ourselves. And then he goes on to say, because even this should frame out further our understanding of the fear of the Lord and, and really why this question, we should be able to answer it. That, that we, we would say, no, I don't want that. I don't want to pursue those, those things that are going to destroy me. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. So this, this is important. This isn't, so, this isn't intended to scare the student. This isn't intended to, to go, okay, so since the Lord can see everything you do, you better mind your P's and Q's, young man. No, what he's saying is the Lord knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows your brokenness. He knows your enmity with him. And yet he still loves you. He still offers the opportunity for grace and relationship despite your brokenness, despite the fact that you are tempted, despite the fact that you look quickly to lovers less wild. Think about all throughout Scripture how quickly the people of God, after the Lord had blessed them, would go chasing after some ancient Near Eastern God. Think about how quickly in the book of Galatians, Paul, who has loved the Galatians, we saw this a bit in our Fruit of the Spirit series, he loved them deeply, how quickly they were, they, they were led astray by the Judaizers. Think about how quickly you, you, how easily you get led astray. And yet, the Lord, He sees your ways, and He ponders your paths, and He loves you anyway. He seeks to refresh and bless you. Whereas Lady Folly, once you're used up, she has no use for you. She has no use for you if you're not going to toe the, the sinful party line, that she, the path that she's laid out that leads to your destruction. Do remember, Satan is not looking for followers. He's looking for just complete destruction because if you aren't destroyed, you still bear the image of God and that does him no good. Even in your brokenness, even in your sinfulness, for as long as you're alive, as long as you're alive, you still bear the image. And so notice how it ends, the final warning. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. It means you can't get out of it. Once you, once you get deep down in it, and we've all felt the power of this, how difficult it is to break the power of any addiction, any, any sort of sin that we've engaged intimately in, anything that we've given our bodies over to. It says, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. And because of this great folly, 
he has led us astray. So notice, we don't die accidentally. We don't, we don't fumble our way into the grave. It's not as if we get overtaken. No, we are active participants in our own destruction. We have been warned. We have been taught. We have been equipped with every good thing. We have been given access to all the heavenly blessings. We have the means of grace. We are without excuse. And if we die, if we die in our sin, if we are, if we are consumed by our sin, it is because we have rejected discipline, which means God is always faithful to confront us in our sin, to, again, even before sin has taken root, to offer us a way out in temptation. The question is, are we active in looking for those things, knowing our weakness, right? We're not saying that we're not weak and won't struggle. That's not what God is calling for. What he is saying is struggle well. Know where you struggle. Avoid the places of struggle as best you can. Use wisdom. Be intentional. Show discernment. And recognize there are some things you don't need to know. This actually is very important for our, our children, our students, to grow up knowing there's just some things you don't need to know. And you definitely don't need to know them at certain phases in your life because of the destructive impact it will have on your body because your body keeps score. Your brain forms around addictive behaviors. Your brain forms around certain things that you don't want to just turn yourself over to. You don't want your brain being shaped by something when you're 15, if you can help it. You don't want your brain being transformed and yoked to someone else who doesn't love you, who doesn't care for you, who doesn't want to edify and encourage you and enrich and bless you to refresh you with all that they have. This is why we can say that every, every, everything else outside of God is a lover less wild. Everything else outside of God, it pales in comparison to how Deeply he loves us, the, the consuming fire of his love that wants to purify and to build up and to, and to make better, to, to um, encourage with life more abundant, to bring joy. This is the Lord our God, and he's done so for us in Christ. That's why Christ says, I came to give you life and life more abundant. Christ who takes on our sin breaks the yoke of slavery that we have been under in our sin, breaks the power of sin in our lives because the power of sin leads to death and grants His righteousness to us so that we could be righteous, just, and equitable for His glory as ambassadors of reconciliation in this world for the life of the world. What a gift we are to the world as those who have been refreshed and blessed in our covenant relationship with God in and through Christ. Listen to what uh, David Hubbard says about this passage. He says, along with Genesis 2, 24 through 25 and the Song of Solomon, this paragraph sounds the note of unembarrassed passion. What a wonderful way to put that. God is not embarrassed to love us. God is not embarrassed to express his passion for us as he did in and through Christ, as he continues to do in the power of the Holy Spirit, of open delight did you know that God takes delight in you? He takes joy in seeing you edified and encouraged and built up. That that should fill the air of every household, which interprets marital love as a joyous expression of God's love for his people. 
This should be how we are committed to one another. And the covenant of marriage should be a reflection of God's covenant love. That's why we use that term sacred canopy because what it ends up doing is blessing any and all who come under it. Because we are blessed people. We are refreshed people. But it's something you've got to fight for and toward. And so what all has the Lord provided for you in your covenant relationship with Him for your good? That would be a great question for you to ponder this Lord's Day Sabbath, to take the time to just think through, what are the various things that the Lord has given to me to build me up and to edify? And then are you experiencing His gifts as means of refreshment and blessing? Sometimes we, get, we, get, we lose the narrative. We, 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 we lose the path a bit. We find ourselves in a dry season. Okay, that's normal. The, the psalmist has shown us again and again, Jesus shows us that that is possible. If it's possible for Jesus, it has to be possible for us. If it's possible for the, those who are called, like Paul, I think about in 2 Corinthians 1 where he says, we, we despaired of life. It's been a hard season, um, and yet we've come through. And so it's important that we recognize that those things don't mean that God doesn't love us anymore. That doesn't mean that those things don't serve to refresh and bless. What it does mean is, is we need to reorient. We need to find where we lost the trail. We need to fight using the means of grace, fight back toward refreshment and blessing in covenant relationship with God. Um, we should, that should disturb us most of all when we don't feel His nearness and love. And one of the ways that, that, that we actually help, this is where I think we, we need to serve each other better. We need to be more encouraging and edifying, uplifting to one another. We need to, and, and I don't mean that just in some sort of silly, happy, clappy type way. I, I mean that in, in, in genuineness. As we talked about in last week's sermon, uh, words are intended to edify, encourage, and to, to um, uh, discipline as well. And so we need to be careful of how we're using our words in every sphere where words are used. We need to be careful how we use those toward each other. We need to be, we need to be building each other up. It's, it's, it's a, been a weird year. We're all tired and frustrated and stressed, and there's an interesting election on the horizon in addition to who knows what all else. And so this is a way the church can actually do great work in our spheres of influence. So Proverbs 5, 1 through 23 teaches us that God's wisdom calls for us to avoid being in a destructive, commodified relationship with sin that leads to regret and to receive and instead to receive the good gifts He provides in covenant relationship as a means of eternal refreshment and blessing. Those are intimate relationships. Be careful where you are intimate. Be careful with what you are intimate. Be careful to demand uh, that, that you be edified, encouraged, refreshed, and blessed because you bear the image of God. Be careful that, that you don't just lack discernment and pursue any, anything that is available to you. Be careful that, that you don't uh, just um, uh, seek refreshment and blessing in places that are going to lead to death and destruction. Stay out of commodified circumstances. Uh, be exacting in, in figuring those things out. Be intentional uh, in, in pursuing things that are going to build you up. The time is short. You don't have, you don't have time to waste. Um, and so let us be a church that is about those things in great wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
that you pursue and love us in covenant relationship, that you take great joy in us. It's, it's an intimacy that we have a hard time even comprehending. And yet, we get glimmers of it. We get tastes of it in some of the relationships that we have, marriage relationships, friendships, uh, and the like. And so thank you that you, you give us foretastes and you guarantee the eternal banquet at which we will be eternally refreshed and blessed at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Thank you that, that we are not left to dwell in the grave broken, filled with regret, that you give us the means by which we, we can come out from the clutches of, of folly and sin. Help us to recognize where we are active participants in our own destruction, where we're rejecting discipline, we're rejecting your wisdom as it is offered to us. Help us have eyes to see and ears to hear where you are seeking to love us and love us well. Help us have eyes to see and ears to hear where you're calling us to love others well in your name. In Christ's name, amen.